All right, let's move on with uh, uh, with our journey through the New Testament today. Um, it's funny when I'm doing these messages. Normally, I have like a lot of introduction, and uh, it just sort of rolls into uh, the the first initial points. Um, today, I have three little lines in my introduction, and this is this is how they read. When we look at the world around us and all of its allure, do we allow our faith to get filled with expectation that we place on God? Or do we allow our faith to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving that we give back to God? It's an, it's an interesting question to be asking. And uh, we're still in the... Um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is still kind of doing this shotgun theology uh, that we've talked about in the past. He's he's covering these bigger concepts, but he's using these smaller pieces of truth to illustrate these concepts, and that continues on through today. And uh, I titled today's message, "What Do You Value?" Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. And uh, I'm gonna <coughs> I'm gonna read through these sections, and we're just gonna kind of go through a series of of thoughts that I had while I was while I was working on this. And I would be have, keep having that question in the back of your mind as we go through this. What is it that you value? Um, and see if your thoughts match your actions. So there's a lot of things we think we value until push comes to shove and then we realize, not actually the case. So we're starting off in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, and it says this. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll get to that verse later. It says, the lamp, excuse me, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in you, the light that is in you is, uh, is darkness, How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So that's the first part of this section that we're dealing with. And uh, it's interesting, he says the, 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 uh, the lamp of the body is the eye, and if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And what he's trying to say there is if you're looking to things that matter, things that bring light, things that bring life, things that are of God, your whole body will be filled with those things because that's what you'll see. You ever known people who can spot the negative in anything? Anything. Mom, I won the lottery. I got $389 million. Yeah, but you'll have to pay taxes. Thanks, Mom. We just had a wonderful, healthy baby. Yeah, that thing's going to suck the life out of you the rest of your days. <laughs> now we know who market. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's kind of true of engineers, right? You're supposed, to spot, you're supposed to spot the flaws in things. That's the way it works. Anyway, moving right along. The first lesson is a simple one. Um, anything we build here on this earth stays on this earth. That's the first lesson. Anything you build on this earth stays on this, this earth. You don't get to take it with you. There's an old joke of an uh, old miser who saved up millions and millions and millions of dollars, just just this ridiculously wealthy man. He married this, this woman, um, wouldn't let her spend any money, went through her whole life, and uh, got to the end, and his will read, 
uh, basically, he made her promise that he could take all of his money with him. He wasn't leaving her with anything. And they get to the funeral, and she said, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. And they get to the funeral, and he's laying there in the casket, and people are around, him, around the lady going, I don't believe you're going to do this. This is, this, is, this is crazy. You're not going to have anything. How is this going to work? She said, this is what he wants, so it's what I'm going to do. So she slipped the check in his pocket. That's about as useful as that thought is. You can't take any of this stuff with you. Whatever life, whatever marriage, whatever business, whatever material possessions you attain for yourself on this earth, they will remain on this earth. And they only have the value and the joy that they will bring you here. You think about this. If you build a house, it's the house of your dreams. You, you built this thing yourself and you're so proud of this thing. This is awesome. This is wonderful. There's one thing you can guarantee about this house. Eventually, you are going to sell it. Someone is going to redecorate it in a way that you don't approve of. They're going to put plants in that front yard that you didn't want there. They might even level it because they didn't like the house and build something else. Without your permission. I'm tempted to tell a story, but I'm not going to. Because <laughs> there's too many people here who would know the people involved. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but now let me ask you something. Let's say you work really hard and you get that house you know, you've put in the time, you've got the house you've been looking for, and it's just awesome, you absolutely love it, but you will not let it be lived in. You got this house, this is the house I want, look at the rooms, this is so fantastic, take your shoes off! Chasing kids around the house because they might put a fingerprint on the glass. They're not allowed in the kitchen because all of your amazing appliances that you never use are all lined up and they may touch one of them. Not allowed to wear shoes in the house because that hardwood fly. Do you know how expensive teak is? Are you the person who will go out and buy a $2,000 couch? And then put clear plastic over it. Because deep down you want to watch TV on a pool floaty. Are you the person who will save up to buy the car of your dreams and then leave it in the garage because someone may scratch it? Are you the type of man, ladies, now is the time to get the face straight, okay? Are you the guy with the tool shop in your garage that looks like it came out of like pimp your car or something like that, you know? Just all the tools look amazing around the wall. There's not a lick of grease on them because you don't know how to use them, but the tools look amazing. They're on the little little pegboard. They got the little lines drawn around them. You know, you got the socket sets that are all like perfectly and you know in line. They look amazing. But you won't build anything because there might get oil on something or you may get dust on something. 
Now, if you're that type of guy, I have some sympathy for you. And this is what I do because I care. I love you. I'll go, if you ever invite me to your house, I'm going to swap the same length metric and standard wrenches on your perfectly placed wall. And I'll probably steal your half-inch socket. You know, the one that goes to everything. And I'll give it back to you at Christmas with a little note on it because I love you and you need medication. You see, we, we chase these things, these physical gains, because we think that if we attain this physical thing, that physical thing will, gain, will add value to me. Do you see what I'm saying? You think that that makes you a more valuable person or a more fulfilled person because you have attained this thing. The problem is you will be just as empty after you get that thing as you were before you got that thing. Because it, it's just a thing. It's not going to love you back. I love my guitars, but I don't sit around and talk to them. I mean, not on purpose. I mean, every now and then I yell at him, come on! <laughs> you know how to play that. I used to know a guy who, had, who just loved his motorcycle. If he had loved his wife as much as he loved his motorcycle, they would still be married. Because here's what would happen. He would, have, he, would get, he would get off on a Saturday. He would go driving for hours and hours and hours and hours and come back. His wife's home. Wife didn't go with him. Because, you know, even though it has the secondary seat, the wife can fit on the back. He just, he doesn't like having to ride with somebody. Gets back, and then he spends the next two or three hours petting it with a rag to get all the road wear off of it. Because, you know, if you don't, then the chrome on the muffler doesn't look right anymore. It's not chrome anymore. It's got that gassy discoloration that that tells everybody else that you drove it. It's amazing the stuff that we seek after that has absolutely no lasting value. It definitely doesn't have eternal value. Tools are meant to be used. Cars are meant to be driven. Couches are meant to be sat on. Homes are meant to be lived in. Life is meant to be lived. I heard a just a great little one-liner um, that uh, you don't get good stories by going to bed early. <laughs> right? Sometimes you've got to let life happen. How many of you have an alarm that goes off like 25 minutes before you've got to be in bed? It's kind of funny. You grow up, you're just a little kid, and you've got to be in bed by 6. Then you get into your 20s and 30s, and you're in bed at 2 in the morning. Then you get into your 40s and 50s, you're in bed at 6 again. <laughs> And you say things to yourself like, we don't stay up this late. Who's we? <laughs> I'm going to skip over verse, 24, or verse 21 because we're going to get to it later. And get to verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. The two masters being compared are God and mammon, heavenly things and earthly things. You cannot serve your wants and desires here and at the same time your wants and desires for eternity. 
one of the two is going to get shorted. So when you talk about living life and getting involved with, uh, 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 getting involved with things, it has to be on purpose. One of those two things, God or mammon, heavenly things, earthly things, will get the bulk of your attention. And sometimes for most of us, it's not even intentional. We don't even know we're doing it because we've never actually put the thought in to decide where is my absolute devotion? Is it in the pursuit of my life here on earth or is it in pursuit of my life for eternity in heaven? Jesus says, do not lay up treasure for yourself here on earth because it's going to rust. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to burn. It's, it's, it doesn't last. But make sure that you're living your life in a way where heaven is where all of your, the things that really matter go. God wants your fullest devotion. Have you ever heard someone say, I give 100% to my family and 100% to my job? That's someone who doesn't understand math. Because you don't get 200% of your, your life. You, you are going to be forced to divide this thing. And here's the thing. If you do not consciously make that choice then life will force that choice on you. And if life forces that choice on you, it will always be an emotional choice. And it will always be an uncomfortably emotional choice. Because you haven't made the connection to your daily activities, to your daily life, to your, to your family life, to your career, to your, to your, uh, to your uh, outside pursuits. You haven't decided that God is the, is, is the, the first in all of it. Life will force that choice on you. Now, we're talking about material things here today, but in chapter 10, if you want to read ahead, Jesus gets to the heart of it, and he starts talking about how this is going to hit you in your family, making that choice. We'll get to that when we get down the road. But when it comes to who we're going to serve and what we're going to pursue, here's a a question for you. If you were offered a promotion at work, it's the promotion you've always wanted, it's the salary you've always wanted, it's going to provide for you the life that you've been looking for, it's going to give you the opportunity to do all the things that you've wanted to do, all you have to do is be a little dishonest. All you need to do is get people to spend a little more money than they should. All you need to do is cook the books just a little bit. All you need to do is lie just a touch. That, that's little, little things, you know, tell that lady that her headlight needs more fluid, that her muffler belt is bad and her transmission gerbil is tired. See, that's all you got to do and you'll have the life that you want. Would you? Or would the moral and ethical standards of God's word prevent you? I thank you for the opportunity, but I I can't do what you're asking me to do. I I just can't. Do you want to be a well-taken-care-of sinner? Or a faithful believer who might spend his life a little more poor than other people? Pick one. God or mammon, because one of them is going to be more valuable to you. 
Moving on to verse 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you would eat, uh, excuse me, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I can promise you, you can't. I've tried. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, uh, which, excuse me, uh, which tomorrow is thrown into the oven, my glasses are sort of like focusing in and out on the screen. Uh, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles seek means those who don't believe. That's what unbelievers go after. For your heavenly Father knows what you uh, knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Today's got enough stuff to worry about. Don't worry about the things that you have no control over. Focus on the moment. Now, last week I made a mistake in, the, in, in my message. I didn't, didn't catch it until I was actually li- listening to the, vi- uh, to the video. I had mentioned, I think I had said that God's not, God wants you to have abundant faith, not, a, not an abundant life, which kind of, you know, immediately afterwards I was like, well, that's stupid. I came that you might have faith and ha- have life and have it more abundantly. Whoops. What I meant to say and what was actually in my notes, if I would have read them, <laughs> is that there's a difference between an abundant life and a life of abundance. Those are not the same thing. And this passage gives me the opportunity to correct it. Now, the question I want to pose to you is this. Is God still God? And is God still good if you have what you need but not what you want? We say, of course. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Does God owe you a certain kind of life because you became a Christian? It really depends on which prosperity preacher you're talking about. When Jesus says, which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature, no matter what your circumstances, no matter where you find yourself, worrying about it isn't going to change. And being mad at God because you're in the situation that you're in does not change your situation, does it? God, I don't think you understand that you put me here. I can understand if you put so-and-so here, they deserved it. But why am I here? Why do I got to deal with this stuff? We can do that. But it doesn't matter. When I was still in the restaurant industry, I used, to, I used to laugh my face off. I'd be working at Applebee's, and I was, I was, I was the kitchen manager there, and I'd be in the, in the center of the, uh, of the cook's line, and we're busy. We're doing 2,500, 3,000 meals in a dinner period, and we're just, we're just cranking stuff out, and this is great. And, and the cooks around me, you can tell the ones that I'm going to keep and the ones that are not, the ones that I want to work at a different restaurant. 
ones that I want to work in a difference is like, I don't know why we got to be so busy. There's so many people ordering stuff. This is, this is rough. I hate this place. Let's see. One, it's a restaurant. We serve food. We serve food because people come into the restaurant and they order food and then they pay for it and that gives you a job. And if a lot of people come in, you get more money. Hopefully. But people get mad because of what comes with success. You see what I mean? I want all the benefit of this, but I don't want to have to do anything for it. <clears throat> this company owes me a paycheck because I work here. Sound familiar? Realistically, no, they don't. And God doesn't owe you a lifestyle just because you're a Christian. We still have free will. We still have decisions that we have to make. And no matter what situation we find ourselves in, I used to tell my cooks all the time, look, the orders are coming in. You have a choice. You can be miserable and cook everything, or you can have fun and cook everything. But either way, you're going to cook everything. And the grumpier you are, the more likely it is you're going to make some of that stuff twice. So here's a great idea. Put on a happy face. Turn the music up and let's go. Let's make this thing happen. We can be miserable later. But right now, let's get through this. We have a hard time doing that sometimes because in the midst of that moment, we feel that we don't deserve whatever it is that's coming at us. But we forget that there's also a thankfulness that's in almost every situation. I say almost, but I really mean every situation. Let me give you a couple of examples. The doctor wasn't able to heal me. But I'm thankful I found a doctor who was willing to try. See the difference? I'm sick, it's the doctor's fault. No, it's not. How about this one? My job doesn't pay me enough to afford the vacations I see other people taking. But I'm thankful that God has given me a job that provides. And I'm thankful for the provision that it does bring. That's a different attitude. Who, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? One dollar to his bank account, one second to his life. None of us. When we allow worry to take center stage in our life, we lose the ability to see the truth in the moment. We lose the ability to see God in the moment when worry suddenly takes center stage as the first thing that we hit. An interesting exercise that I like to try to help people do is if you put your hand in front of your face, initially, you see right through your fingers to everything on the other side. But you can willfully switch your focus so that you're only looking at your hand. You can't see anything beyond it. That's worry. The worry isn't going to go away, but my focus can. I can choose to look beyond it. Because the answer is beyond it. 
And sometimes I think that's why God allows the worry to stay in our life. So that we learn to look past the limited vision that we have to his vision on the other side of it. We may not like where we are, but that's where you are. Deal with it. And you might be there because that's where your decisions brought you. Pastor, I need help with my rent. I'm going to lose my house. Okay, what's going on? I'm going to lose my house. Okay, what's going on? Well, my employer doesn't pay me enough. Okay, what's going on? I don't make enough money. Okay, what's going on? And it was hunting season. I called in, called in a lot. Uh, you know, I got a lot of deer for this. You know, I'm out of PTO, and then I got sick, uh, and then I had to, you know, I had to take take time off, and I, you know, I got sick for a week, and then they ended up having to hire somebody else because I wasn't there. Oh, we ran face first into the consequences of our own actions. You see, so the truth is, it's not that your job's not paying you enough. The truth is that you made bad choices that led you to right where you are. And now you're hoping someone's going to bail you out so that you don't have to change. See the problem? When we let worry take center stage, we cannot see what God is doing in front of us. Now check this out. This is Jesus. Luke 22, 41, 43 says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone. So this is Jesus in the garden. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We usually stop there. But look at the next verse. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Sometimes we pray, God, you got to do something about this situation. You got to get me out of this. I, I don't deserve to be here. You know, God, I'll never do this again if you get me out of it. And God says, I will, I will, I will absolutely do that. And he sends an angel to strengthen you so you can go through it. He doesn't take it from you. He walks with you in it. But we don't want that. <laughs> we want God to take away this stuff. But that's not how you get stronger. That's not how you build your faith. That's not how you build trust. If God took away all the bad things in your life, you wouldn't trust him. You wouldn't have faith in him because you've never actually had to step into a difficult situation and maintain your faith. Those who have great faith have usually gone through great trials. And they look back and say, man, I don't understand why you have the faith that you have. I have the faith I have because I went through that pile of garbage. Why did God let you walk through that pile of garbage? He didn't let me walk through it. He walked with me through it. That's why I have the faith in him that I have. I've gone through this stuff. And I know he's there. Sometimes God removes a trial. And sometimes he walks, walks with us right through it. And I think that's because if we're faithful in little things... And the times we want God to take it away, God knows that we'll be faithful when the bigger things come forward. See, in those little moments when we want God to get rid of this thing, if we just trust him and walk through it, God knows that when the big challenges come up, we'll still be able to trust him and walk through it. I think that's why he leaves those things in our hands. Now back to verse 21. 
I saved this one because it's everyone's favorite. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No, we're not going to be talking about tithing, and no, I'm not taking up a special offering. Okay? Just, just, just to calm the nerves of people who might be like bracing themselves for this. No. Very often, unfortunately, this verse is used as a way of strong-arming people into giving money. You know? You want your heart to be with God, right? Well, you've got to put your treasure there. So your heart's not with God because you don't give enough. You need to give more. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not going to have that conversation with you because it doesn't, it's actually not necessarily what that means. It's not simply talking about finances because there's things that we treasure that are, go beyond finances. Let me start this by asking this question. Is God only in your life to provide what you want or does he also have permission to ask for what you have? Is God only in your life to provide for you what you want, or does he have permission to ask you for what he has? See, I see treasure in three basic groups that we tend to place a high value on. Our time, our talent, and our resources. So back here, I've got a clock, my guitar, and the $2 I had in my wallet. There was more there at one point in time. I'm not exactly sure what happened to it. Our time, our talent, our resources. These are things we treasure. Let me ask you something. Do we all have 24 hours each day to accomplish our desires? No. There's 24 hours in a day, but you do not have 24 hours in a day. And we need to understand that. We need to be aware of that. Somewhere in that 24-hour day, you have to sleep. And if you don't, eventually your body will force the issue. Usually in a really bad place. Or an inopportune time. You have to sleep. You have to eat. You have to go to appointments. You got to get groceries. You got to work on the house. You got to do laundry. You don't have 24 hours in a day. And what that means is that at some point in time, you have to prioritize things that are going on in your life. You're married. You have kids. You have a, you have a career. You only have a certain number of hours throughout the day that you can allocate to those things. And if you actually do what you should be doing, sleeping eight hours a day, and if you get to only work eight hours a day, you've only got eight hours left. That's not a lot. I just did panic math in my head for a, for a quick second. Yeah, it's 24. Okay, we're good, we're good. It was good. I didn't see Abel's head pop up in the back and go. <laughs> One more thing I've got to teach him. <laughs> Addition, <laughs> single-digit addition. Here we go. It's fine. Yep. So you, you know the answer to something, but when you're, when you're up here standing in a, staring at a couple hundred people, your mind goes, did you do that right? I, I, I don't know, did I? No, you don't have 24 hours. So you have to prioritize one thing over another. And the truth is, the things that you value the most, you will make time for. The things that you absolutely want to make time for, you will make time for. You're going to squeeze it somewhere. You're going to stay up late. You're going to get up early. Somewhere along the lines, you're going to cut something off so that you can do this. Now, the question is, how often is God the recipient of that choice? Or are you 
the Sunday morning only person. God gets an hour and a half of my time on a Sunday. I think that's more than enough. Well, is it an hour and a half every Sunday? Is it an hour and a half during hunting season? Here's something I always get a kick out of. And I know this makes some, some, some guys irritated with me. Deal with it. Um, hunting season comes along. And that was really funny, by the way. <laughs> and guys, yeah, I'm going to be at church. Don't worry, honey. I'm going to be at church. But I go hunting in the morning. And inevitably, I, I get this response every, every year during hunting season. Hey, sir, I wasn't there in church. I, now, listen to the logic. Going hunting Sunday morning. I didn't expect to get a deer. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> it's the whole reason you went. The only person who can honestly say to me that they didn't expect to get a deer right now is Abel and Miriam, and they got two earlier this year with two different cars. No, same car. Same car, twice. They can say, I didn't expect to get a deer. And the worst part was, the thing ran off. <laughs> no, you go to get a deer. Why? I'll throw something out there. Because the enjoyment of that outweighs your enjoyment here. Your heart is more connected to that than it is here. That may be very difficult for you to hear, but I want you to wrestle with that. Because is it when people say, well, we need the meat? Really? There's no other way that that can happen? I've talked to quite a few people over the years who said, you know what, I gave up hunting on Sundays, and you know what happens? I don't know why, but every year, God blesses me with exactly what I need during my regular hunting time. Here's a challenge for you. This coming hunting season, where are your priorities? What, what, how much time does God get from you? During the week, does God get devotional time from you? Does a, do you have time for a small group? Do you have time for anything relating to your, to your connection with God outside of Sunday morning? If not, I will be guaranteed that somewhere along the lines, you're stagnant in your faith. You're discontent in your faith. You're wishing something was different because you see it in somebody else's. What you haven't realized is that you're not giving God your time. You're, you value your time. You treasure your time, and you've withheld that treasure from God. Your heart is not there. Because if it's your time that, you're tre that you treasure, you'd give some of that treasure to God, and your heart would be there. Guaranteed. Because the places where you put your time, that is where your heart is. How about this one? Talent. Every church in the North Country that I know of is screaming for musicians, for ministry help, people out in the kids' church, people to help out with technology, people to help out with greetings, people to help out with building and maintenance, people to lead small groups. 
And while all of these church are look, all these churches are looking for this kind of help, all of that help is available to the church. It's sitting in the pews. It's sitting in the pews. I usually hear one of two excuses when it comes to not people who, who, who treasure their talent, their, their ability with their hands. I don't want to give my talent over to God. I, I, you know what? I, I, I use this stuff during the week. I, I, I just don't want to do this. And I usually hear one of two excuses. One, I, I really need to come to church to receive. My week is too draining on me. I, I need to receive. I've got, I, I'm so drained when I get here. I need to receive something so that I can make it through the rest of the week. I am so glad that none of the rest of our volunteers ever come here tired wishing they could receive something great. I'm glad that they, by Friday afternoon, Saturday night, they're so filled with God. They're so joyous. They're so filled with energy. They just come here. They just got to vomit it out on everybody. It's so great that nobody else is tired but you. Here's the opposite side of that, and here's the truth of the matter. If you really want to receive from God, serve. You really want to gain something from the Spirit of God, pour into the people of God, because that's where it's found. You don't receive from God by standing there with your hands open, waiting for the blessing to fall out of the sky. God blesses those who are in action who are in motion, who have put their talents at his feet and they've allowed him to request something of them. God, I have this skill. How can you use it? I have this ability. You know what? I'm not very good at this. This is the other excuse I get. I'm not very good at this. I don't know enough. I only play the guitar a little. I don't, I don't think I can be on the worship team. <laughs> News for you. I only play the guitar a little. <laughs> I'm not a very good singer. You're talking to the wrong person. I've heard myself. Early on, some uh, when I was back into the church, someone asked me, hey, are you ever going to, you know, you guys should do a worship album. I was like, are you insane? I'm not a vocalist. I'm a worship leader. Those are two different things. You can be a worship leader and please God because God says make a joyful noise. God doesn't say make a joyful, perfect tenor. Nope. Now, here's the other thing. We'll train. You see, we use these, we use these things as excuses to, because we value our effort, our energy. We value the things that we do with our hands. And we value them so much, we keep them from God. Do you see the difference? When you have an ability that could be useful in the hands of God and you refuse to lay that ability down at the hands of God, you, what you are telling God is you value that ability more than you would value his service. Your heart is not there. You've disconnected. Now here's the one everyone loves, resources. Yeah, I got to touch on this at some point in time. Here's something I've heard a hundred times. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need my money. He should sell some of that cattle. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, funny one-liner, whatever. But listen to this. And I'm not going to come at this in the way that you're probably thinking. Malachi 3, 
8 through 10 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You notice he says tithes and offerings, both? Because they're not the same. You are cursed with a curse. You have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Then he finishes with this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. All right. What does it mean to be a robber? What does it mean to be a robber? What a robber is, we we think it just simply means a thief, but there's more to it than that. A robber is not just simply a thief. A robber is someone who wants the benefit of what they're taking without the cost to attain it. You understand what I'm saying? They want the benefit of what they are taking from somebody without having to do anything to attain it. God says, you're robbing me. Now, here's the part a lot of people miss. He's talking to his people. He's talking to the nation of Israel, the nation whom he continues to bless, even when, he's, when this is spoken to the prophet. He is still continuing to bless his people, and he's telling his people, you are robbing me. And they're going, how are we robbing you? And what he's saying is, you are taking all of the blessing that I am providing, and you are putting nothing into it. You're just taking Your faith is about you. Your resources are about you. Your time and your talent is about you. None of it is available to God because God is not worth it. It's worth whatever I can get out of it, but the moment it costs me something, I'm done. A robber is someone who wants all the benefits of being a Christian without it costing them a dime. I will receive the gospel from anyone who's preaching it. I'm so glad that church exists. I'm so glad people get trained in in the ministry. I'm so glad that evangelists are out there. I'm so glad that people go to foreign countries. That's that's great. I want everything that God has for his people. Do you know that God also has a requirement of his people to get involved? To not simply be a taker, but to be a giver. Because there's something that happens when you start putting those things you treasure in it. See, I was happy we already took the offering up, because now, I, now I'm, I'm, I'm good. I think. Find out afterwards. A robber is concerned with themselves above all. God knows this, that we will never truly be connected to something and connected to the purpose of the gospel if all we do is take from it. I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. I want to be released from the the debt of my sin. But I, I don't want to have to do anything in service to the one who saved me. We live in a material world. And in a material world, our time is a treasure And God is asking for us to sow some of that treasure into him. Our talents are our treasure. We spend our whole life building them, developing them. And God is saying, I want access to that so that I can use that talent to further my gospel. And we say, God, listen, we say, God, bless me with a good job and a good paycheck so that I can afford the type of life that I would love to be able to afford for my family so that I can have the things I'd like for my family. And God says, yes, I will but I need some of it back to my house 
so that the church may maintain a presence within the world. None of this exists outside of your faithfulness. And here's something that I can say. You guys are extremely generous. I love it. I don't, I don't, I'm not beating anyone over the head with this. I'm saying that I do know there are people who give a ton and sometimes you can't. But the question that I have for you is that when you show up, can you do what you can? I don't even have enough to pay my bills. I don't, I, I can't, I can't give, you know, financially what I think. Okay, are you giving your time? Are you giving your talent? See, sometimes we don't give anything. We just want. And then we wonder why we're not receiving from God what we see in other people's lives. It's because your treasure is still in your house. Whatever that looks like. Whether it's your time, your talent, or your resources. We're supposed to sow that treasure into the, into the kingdom of God because we're not supposed to store up treasures for ourselves on earth. We're supposed to store up treasures in heaven. We're not supposed to worry about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, where we're going to live, what we're going to see tomorrow. We're supposed to be storing up treasures in heaven. And the way you store up treasures in heaven, the only, I'll say it this way, the only thing you get to take with you when you leave this earth are the, are the things that you've done for the Lord while you're here. That's it. That's all that follows you. So is it all about you? Or is it about something greater?